win number 61 for the Phoenix Suns comes at the expense of the Philadelphia 76ers at home against Philly, who came into this game with the number one record in the Eastern Conference. They win by 10. And for the fourth time this season, Matthew, this team has won eight consecutive games. Four times in a season, they've won eight in a row. How impressive is that, Matthew? Very, very impressive. You know, I saw something about the uh, Memphis Grizzlies winning. I think they won 12 games by 25 points plus. It's like between the Suns and the Grizzlies, man. Like, they, they're they killing it on the streaks this year. But uh, what a game. The battle between the two MVP candidates and Booker comes out on top. Uh, again, Booker comes out on top. Scores 35 points in this game. And as one of our loyal jamsters noted before the game, at Don Draper's Musk on Twitter said if Devin Booker scores 32 points this afternoon, he'll pass Kawhi Leonard in career points scored. Booker came into the league in 2015. Leonard came into the league into 2000 and came into the league in 2011. So yeah. shout out to Don Draper's Musk for pointing out that statistic. Devin Booker ends with a total of 35 points tonight. So plenty to talk about on this edition of the Suns Jam Session podcast. Another win for this team. They are now 61 and 14 as they get ready to head out on the road for a 3 game road trip uh but before we get to all of the fun stuff talking about the game against the sixers and the road trip that lies ahead and a fantastic review on apple podcast this is a reminder to everyone who is listening too if you go and put a five-star review on apple podcast that means gives us five stars write a little review we'll go ahead and we'll read it right here on the podcast if you're watching along live on facebook youtube or twitter please hit that thumbs up button let everybody know we're the best post-game podcast on planet orange resides that's right here with the Suns Jam Session podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter at Suns Jam. You can follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. And you can follow Matthew on Twitter at Matthew Lissy. And on that note, I think it's time to pop open an ice cold Kurzlat that I'm going to be drinking here. Ooh, Matthew, yummy. I was telling you the other day that I bought some of those uh, like 14% alcohol yeah. cutthroat Mai Tais, right? It's like a yeah. Mai Tai in a can. That is the most disgusting shit I've ever had. It's oh, so no. bad, dude. It's so is it? bad. Dang it. I was actually looking forward to, uh, you know, your trying them out today. Yeah. Man, that stinks. I was looking forward to those things. I still have the strawberry margaritas, and I'm, I'm just too afraid to pop one of those open and try it because it's just that the Mai Tai really left a bad impression upon me and a shitty taste in my mouth. Ugh. So I'm going with the Coors Lights. I assume that you're pounding on Always some sort of gluten or something yep gluten-free nice. water gluten-free yeah, water to you by well, deandre Aiden. <laughs> there you go well pop them if you got it suns fans let's talk about another dominating victory by your phoenix suns A 10-point victory by the Phoenix Suns against the Philadelphia 76ers this afternoon, which brings me very quickly to my first question. Matthew, I got to ask. I ask, why wasn't this game on ABC? 
That's what I was wondering too, because I was looking for the game before and there wasn't a game either. So I think it is it March Madness. Is that, is that has to be why? Because a lot of these games, even the TNT ones, they're going to March Madness, the boring ass college basketball. So that might be the reason, I think. Yeah, I I guess that's the case. You know, I was still thinking, I thought the game was on ESPN. So mm-hmm. I'm cruising, I'm on ESPN. I'm like, where's the game? And then I'm like, well, oh, of course, it's going to be on it's ABC. Nothing. It's a nationally televised game. It's the number one Phoenix Suns, the number one Philadelphia 76ers. This has got to be on primetime. And then, no. No, nothing. Just your, just your standard <laughs> Bally, Arizona sports cast. And the only issue I have with watching the Bally, Arizona sports cast, and I was thinking about this, is I they play the same commercials so much that I know the cadence to every commercial. It's like, they're going to play this one. They're yes. going to play like the, you know, uh, the, the one with, Pitbull singing, you know, it's like, oh, you do you? I'm banging super sometimes it's back to back, too. Sometimes yeah, they're always back to back. Yeah, it's that always llama the one. same. Yes, the llama, like a one. llama one. Oh, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's so ingrained in my head where I just expect it. It's not even annoying to me anymore. It's just part of it, like a daily routine. It is. It, well, <laughs> and here's how I know that it's become a daily routine is I was making dinner tonight, I was making sour cream chicken enchiladas. One of my favorite things to make. And I'm in the kitchen and I'm like yeah. shredding the chicken and like my kitchen and my living room are kind of one big area. So the game's going on in, uh, behind me. And I find myself starting to say the next commercial out loud. Like I already know it's like once they're Fair done enough. talking about, you know, it's like, and you do you. And then it's like I start whatever the next commercial is. I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, dude. It's like Pavlovian theory. It's like, wow, I know these uh, these commercials by heart. But anyways, sorry for the tangent there, Suns fans. Uh, I understand. You know, just seriously. Um, Coming into this game, you have the Philadelphia 76ers coming to town. And I know that there was a lot of free throws early for them. Uh, We found out before the game that it would be a Scott Foster game. For those of you who don't know who Scott Foster is, he's the guy who I believe with this victory, it's the first time that Chris Paul's ever won a game in which Chris or Scott Foster has officiated. I believe he's now one in 13. So coming into this game, I wasn't at all surprised with any of the free throw disparity that I assumed would occur. We talked about it a little bit on the last podcast, how when you play the Philadelphia 76ers, you need to understand that this is a team who knows how to get to the line. You have Joel Embiid, who leads the league in free throw makes and attempts. You have James Harden, who's been flopping his way through the NBA for the past decade. And you have now Scott Foster as an official were you surprised in any way, shape, or form that uh, through the first half, the Philadelphia 76ers were absolutely uh, controlling the game by from the line? No, I, I wasn't. That's the one way you can beat the Suns, right? Slow it down. And that's just the way the 76ers have been playing. Um, it did kind of even out, right? 19 personal fouls for the 76ers in the end and then 21 for the Suns. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the way you have to beat the Suns to slow it down that way. Uh, it's just it, what to me, what's kind of the annoying part is how it, first half is so different from the second half. Why can't it just be consistent? Because a lot of the calls that they were calling against the Suns weren't called in the second half. Mm-hmm. And that's due to just like, you know, you can't foul out the stars. But I'm like, well, then why is it that way? Why can't you just have it the same way both halves? Why do you have to have these guys in foul trouble for the same kind of calls that you're not calling in the second half? That's the part that's frustrating. That's the part that's frustrating for the players too, right? Mm-hmm. Because the players think it's going to happen. And James Harden, I don't, I, of course, his game is more annoying now to me than it used to be. But there were some times where he would get, actually look like it would be a foul that they would call in the first half. It wasn't called. So then that inconsistency is just something like, I don't know what to even say anymore with this shit. 
No, for real. And that's why I think that although it's one of the things I'm leading off with on this podcast, it's one of the things that I really felt coming into this game. I had just mentally prepared myself knowing that there would be a huge foul discrepancy. And if you look at the total number of free throws attempted at halftime, the Philadelphia 76ers had 19 attempts to the Suns six. And by the end of the game, it was 26 to 17. So as you mentioned, it, it kind of evened itself out a little bit, but at the same time, it's one of those things where I, like, I'm tired of having the same narrative of the fouls and, and you know, the, the shitty refereeing. Yeah. And the second half, I felt like it was obviously a lot more things went the sun's way in the fact that, as you mentioned, James Harden uh, was, was, creating the contact as he does, you know, he's the one guy who he like jumps into guys and then, you know, gets the fouls called for him. And some of those fouls weren't going his way in the second half. Here's what's interesting about James Harden, in my opinion, is how, how, how has he not developed a mid range game? <laughs> you know, like he, he always been able to drive to the hoop. He's not getting the respect nearly as much as he used to due to the new, uh, foul calls and the, and the new the way that the game's refereed although obviously there's still some work to go in that area he can shoot the 3 but he's never never developed a mid-range game kind of shocked me yeah it well it kind of is but then also he was under the system with Mickey D's Mike D'Antoni like he you know mm-hmm. 7 seconds or less you know get that shot up shoot the 3 shoot as many as you can right until you you know, until it evens out to where you're making them at the end of the games when it matters. That's the way he developed his game, like after they got him on that squad, and that led to winning. So I think that's what he's stuck with now. I was actually thinking the same thing. Like, how does he have nothing else really in his arsenal? He has nothing. Like he he can get to the rim, that's it. Pull back three, that's it there. Like that's really the two things he has. So I was thinking maybe he's just kind of stuck, right? He's stuck just having those two things. And if he starts to work on something else. That I think maybe it's too late in his career right now to really kind of figure something else out. And I know a lot of players, when they get older, all they have to do, all they can do is work on their jump shot because that's all mm-hmm. they have. They don't have their legs anymore. So that's going to be interesting to how he develops in the next few years in the NBA because we all know he'll probably be on a new, a new team next year. So maybe if he can fly under the radar and go on a team that's not a championship contender, he can work on some stuff. Who knows? Because he's going to have to because this game, especially for a Sixers fan, it must be very painful to know like, okay, he has the ball. He's going to dribble it for like 14 to 15 seconds. Yes. He's going to have to step back three or get to the rim. And if, you know, if he's double teamed, then we're screwed because then that the whole possession is over with. So for them, for the Sixers fans, it sucks to watch. It's nice to watch from here because we know like if he has the ball with test seconds left, it's going to be a step back three. He's just, just not clutch with it anymore either. Well, on the other side is it just what makes the Phoenix Suns such a great team and a fun team to watch is the way that they whip the ball around, how they're constantly putting pressure on the defense, how they run mm-hmm. uh, offensive sets effectively. And when you have a guy who just kind of holds the ball and does that hard and ball stuff, I mean, we've talked about it for a long time. It's not entertaining to watch. And if you're a fan, it's really got to be frustrating. And as you know, I go into the subreddits for the opposition yes. now. I still haven't created that drop for it i almost had it done today <laughs> but i didn't like the way it sounded uh something along the lines of like behind enemy lines but i was hanging out in the sixers subreddit the movie and there was literally a period where this is what they said uh this is in succession harden coming up flat in another big game harden is so shit inside the arc bruh lol harden can't create a shot besides a three I would like to purchase some Harden step back threes and sell Harden running into traffic, hoping for a foul call. Thanks, Monopoly man. 
Harden is is taking bad shots to get fouls. That's six comments in a row where Philly fans are just observing the efforts put forth by James Harden. And note, for those of you who haven't seen the box score, James Harden today, two for 11 from the field. His only two makes were three-pointers as he was two for five from beyond the arc. He was eight for eight from the free throw line. He did have seven rebounds and nine assists. 14 total points for James Harden, who played 40 minutes today. Uh, only Mikhail Bridges in the entire game played more than him. Is this the kind of game that you credit Mikhail Bridges and the effort he put forth? And is this another feather in Mikhail Bridges' cap as he does his best to win a defensive player of the year? Yeah, definitely not taking a day off, too, this year. That's a big thing yeah. where... You know, if he's not going to miss a game and there's going to be some games where he doesn't have it in him. I think we went through a spurt this season, I think midway through where he was just super tired and he wasn't exerting his energy until like the end of the games. Remember those like two blocks, two different games at the end. I think it was the Orlando game and the game after that where he had those two big blocks on like jump shots. Mm-hmm. And that was like in the last couple minutes. The last one was like the last game winning shot from Orlando. And he just he puts all his energy into those plays now. But then when you play games like this against James Harden, uh, you know, I don't know. Oh, what's his name? Freaking uh, Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris. He was kind of owning him a little bit, but um, the thing is, like on those posi- like in those spurts where Tobias Harris is taking over, it's not like you want him let him do what he wants to do, but it's basically like you don't want to exert your energy on these guys right now in this in this time of the game. Even though it was a four point lead for the 76ers, yep. you know that you can come back. You can have those defensive possessions later on in the second half. But then it kind of came after the 14-point lead for the 76ers. I think the Suns were kind of helped with the league. Doc took those guys out. That's what really helped them there. Uh, but there's tough situations that Mikhail finds himself in. But the help defense, too, from DeAndre is kind of underrated, too, to mm-hmm. where he goes along with Mikhail, right? We always talk about how they help each other out yes. and how that's just so effective. But he's definitely earned the defensive player of the year, I think, this year from not taking a night off and just playing against the best player every night. Well, without a doubt. And then I think there were a couple plays in this game where he played great defense on Harden. Uh, one I was a great shot deterrence play where it looked like Harden was just going to get to the rim and Mikhail Bridges played fantastic defense on it. And while, while I was watching that play, I go, okay, this is an opportunity for the East coast bias to see James Harden, who don't get me wrong. A lot of people on the East coast are dogging James Harden uh, for the attitude in which he plays for the way that he's forced himself mm-hmm. out of uh, situations. I forget what podcast I was listening to the other day where they were talking about how, you know, I guess truth is all relative now because once James Harden joined the Philadelphia 76ers, he said, yeah, this is where I was trying to get to last year. It's like, no, we literally have quotes of you saying you were trying to get to Brooklyn last year because Mm -hmm. that didn't work out in your favor. Now you're saying, you know, you wanted to be in Philly. It's like, so it's all relative. So his stock is definitely something that's plummeting. But that being said, he still is an offensive talent who, Mikhail Bridges found himself on plenty tonight. And if you are a East Coast MP or a defensive player of the year voter and you look at the box score tonight, you go two for 11. And then you start to look at some of the advanced statistics on who Mikhail Bridges guarded. And you see he spent a lot of time on James Harden. It's another feather in the cap. It's another opportunity for Dev or from, I'm sorry, for uh, Mikhail Bridges to take home the hardware. And I think you're right. If he does win defensive player of the year, like he's got to give a shout out to DA because DA has done a fantastic job behind him. Mikhail Bridges has been allowed to gamble because he knows he has DeAndre behind him. And what they'll end up doing, and you saw a lot of this on Joel Embiid when uh, he had the ball, is when Joel had the ball and DA was on him, Mikhail be the guy who come and, and throw the double at him. 
and force mm-hmm. him into jumpers that he did not necessarily want to take. So I think that their combination defense, as as seen tonight, uh, tonight was a great example of their combination defense. When DA finally had an opportunity to get on the floor, uh, you know, obviously because he was in foul trouble the majority of the game, because that's what happens when you play against Joel Embiid and James Harden is they're coming to the rack. They're going to put your bigs in in trouble. Uh, I think that they both are. You just see the value of both Devin, or I'm sorry, I keep saying I, I keep wanting to say Devin Booker. <laughs> it's on our minds. Over I know, man. <laughs> well, it's because I'm getting ready to do that drop soon. Once we yeah. once we get, go on to the next topic, uh, but you see the value of Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton on the defensive end, especially in games like this. And just to kind of fortify that point, as they mentioned on the broadcast, 39 points by the 76ers in the first quarter. In the second quarter, it was 25. In the third quarter, it was 22. The 76ers in the fourth quarter tonight scored 18 points. Mm-hmm. fantastic yeah typical right i think a lot of it too within beads a little injury a little tweak to the to the ankle that kind of hurt them a little bit maybe um just because they had some momentum there for a little bit right and then once yeah. he kind of got hurt uh, but the cool thing about mckill is you can't really play him out of games either sometimes like you know gobert goldbert gobert whatever his name is gobert. you can kind of you can play him out of games sometimes especially if you have like deandre aiden uh mckill you can't and what's great is i mean mckill's great offensively too so he exerts energy offensively on those little cuts he has now mm-hmm. he has like these little mini cuts tonight where like pm Payne would get into the paint and then he'd do these little cu- mini cuts right in front of them and they're like they're like half the cuts so i enjoyed watching that it's like something kind of new that i noticed uh but when you have that offensively and the defensively he has to guard the best guy and you can't really i mean you have to switch against Embiid. Embiid is unstoppable you can't guard yeah. him. Aiden can't guard him no one can so you're not going to expect a lot from mckill on that Big Dick Booker. Well, and you're talking about how Joel Embiid is unguardable, which is a fact. I mean, he's just a massive human being. And due to the fact that he is so huge, yes, he is unguardable. He kind of reminds me of Shaquille O'Neal when he played in the mid-90s all the way through the mid-2000s, how unguardable he was. And what was his number one talent? His number of talent was his size because Shaq wasn't like this master shooter, this you know mid-range god. No, he just backed you down inside and destroyed you, and you couldn't stop him because he was huge. What makes Joel Embiid such an interesting uh, prospect and, and who he is an MVP candidate is the way that he utilizes his size to his benefit. And we were treated tonight with an opportunity for Mikhail, or now I'm saying Mikhail Bridges, <laughs> for Devin Booker, <laughs> for Devin Booker, an MVP candidate in his own right, somebody who's gained a lot of steam over the past week for his performances uh, against the Timberwolves and against the Denver Nuggets to go against another MVP candidate in Joel Embiid. Now, Joel Embiid ends the night with 37 total points, 14 of 27 shooting. He had 15 rebounds. And when you take a look at the fact that his team scored only 104 points, he ended up with, I'm doing math real quick, 36% of their total scoring. On the other side of that, you have Devin Booker, 35 points, uh, only two assists tonight, only a couple rebounds. He was 13 of 22 from the field, three of five from beyond the arc. And he really set the tone early in this game. He came out, he had the Suns first seven points, he had 13 of the first 19 and he had 22 points in the first quarter. That is the 18th time he has scored at least 20 points in a quarter. Does Devin Booker, with this win tonight over Joel Embiid, take another step up in his quest for a potential MVP award, Matthew? 
Well, according to Kevin O'Connor, we shouldn't be really talking about Devin Booker being an MVP candidate for some reason. So, yeah. I mean, in a game like this where like he went head-to-head with Jokic, and I, I know they play bis- different positions, but I'm just talking about the best player versus the best player. Um, obviously, Booker won this one tonight, but you saw how valuable Embiid really is. And then you have possessions like at the end of the game where it's a 7-0 run with two minutes left, and it's basically Booker paul and it's and it's deandre ayton like back to back to back and that's the reason booker won't win mvp right because we Mm -hmm. have those guys ayton's asking for the ball off the screen he gets it little floater good and then you know paul does his thing with a little jump shot and that's basically the game they get the seven seven oh run that's basically the game yep but also like the two assists thing is like the sixers tonight were really clogging the paint or clogging like the lanes for the suns so a lot of those like situations where booker would be in the paint he would gather himself with the ball. A lot of those times in the past, like the past few weeks or so, he would dish it out to someone, you know, wide open for three. He dishes to someone cutting the lane. Tonight, there it wasn't there. So Booker had to really gather himself for a second. He had those two and one plays. But mm-hmm. just gathering himself, getting the shot up, that's what he had to do. So he had to focus on scoring. Defensively, he looked really good too. And that's one thing where the MVP conversation comes in to where Booker can stay in the games. I was just talking about with Mikhail, how Mikhail can stay in the games late. Book's the same way. You don't worry about him, right? You don't worry about him defensively being a reliability anymore. So that's nice. And then also, yeah, like you said, the first where he comes out and starts barking at like Coach Doc Rivers. Like this is insane how this is still happening. And like I was almost kind of like, all right, can we just chill out just a little bit? Like don't do too much to where we're cat, right? Where we're where Carl Anthony Towns in the Wolves game in the first half where he goes crazy. But Book, you know, he calmed down a little bit. And then it, it was Paul then looking at Doc Rivers. So whatever the hell they're talking about, I really want to know. Because I know Doc said that before the game he didn't want to give anything to Book. it would say yeah. anything, basically, to give him any kind of momentum in this game. But they're still looking at each other, still barking. It's like, what is he saying to him, right? <laughs> but then Booker chills out a little bit. And he had the great first quarter. He finished the game off for the Suns. Uh, there was a little spurt there in the fourth where they had an 11-point lead, and Booker had a two bad possessions in a row, the turnover, yes. and then that bad step-back bad three. three. Same three he took the other night, too. Yeah, he had exactly. had a shot at 50. Yeah. Same exact shot. Don't take it, that shot, Booker. It stopped there. It stopped there, and then he got back to team ball, and it was all good. So stuff like that does happen in once in a while. You're like, oh, maybe he's trying to go for the MVP too much, but it's like, no, he's just he's just trying to see what it's like to be Luka again. It's still not working for him. Well, again, he's just going for that exclamation point. He's going for the dagger yeah, shot. Exactly. That yeah, the, the guy who owns the dagger shot on this team, in my opinion, is is Jay Crowder. Like he's the guy who he always hits yeah. like a big three right when the Suns need it to put the nail in the coffin, and he's the one who did it again tonight. You know, kind of to your point on Devin Booker it was interesting because again, I was hanging out in the Sixers subreddit, and one of the things that they noted is once Devin Booker started barking, the Philadelphia 76ers went on like a thirteen-two run. So it's like it's a reminder. It goes both ways. You can't start barking and yelling at the opposition in the first quarter, man. And I'm sure that Chris Paul probably t- put put him aside and said, "Hey, man, like, I think so too. I I do too. I really do because he started. He was very level headed and was just playing Devin Booker basketball. After that, uh, mm-hmm. part of that was closing out the quarter the way that he did with that 22 points. Again, he scores 15 points in the remainder of the game. I really feel like there was an opportunity for Devin Booker to put up another 45 point night tonight and really kind of have that exclamation point as the East coast was watching this game. But at the end of the day, that's not what matters to Devin Booker. He doesn't necessarily want, I wouldn't say he doesn't want to be the MVP. You know, I wouldn't never go that far because he's an ultimate competitor, but I don't know if he necessarily cares about it uh, as much as we have over the past week. I just think that he wants to do what he can to make sure that his team wins. 
And that's seceding a little bit. That's letting some of the other guys cook. And that's what he did tonight. And again, that's after having a 35 point night. So he's going to continue to uh, flourish. I will say this. He is definitely the MVP of having his foot on the line. I think I counted three, three times tonight. Yes, Matthew. Was it three yeah. fucking times. You know, what's funny is his first three. I would, I even noted, I'm like, he had his foot stepped back a little bit. So his heel was up a little bit further up in the air and his foot was back a little bit further behind the line where it's supposed to be. And that was beautiful. And then the next three times he had his foot on the line. Yeah. Like, what are you, what the hell are you doing, dude? Just step back a little bit. Like, that's the one thing it's like, if you're going to talk sh- shit about, you know, hitting these threes and then it turns into a two, is that a little bit embarrassing? But nah, it doesn't matter. And I really think that Chris Paul, someone said something because Chris Paul's face looked a little bit different in the first. I don't know if he yeah. was just tired, but he kind of looked annoyed, kind of like, all right, like we got to chill out because this might go the other way. And the Sixers did put on a run in the first and a great first for them. So it didn't look as good for book, you know, talking crap. Well, but, precisely. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, like I said, they put a 13 2 run on the Suns Uh, and credit to the Suns and Devin Booker included for the way that they closed out that quarter. Uh, 37 points is what they ended up scoring in the first quarter to the 76ers 39. It was just like, whoa, this is going to be a potentially high, high, high scoring game. And then a lot of the defense came into play. Uh, One thing I will say is Suns fans, if you're at the games, don't chant MVP until after he makes the free throw. Yeah. (laughs) There's twice where they were chanting MVP and he bricked the free throw. And, you know, maybe it's just something new for a book. I don't know. I mean, it seems like every year by this time, even if the Suns were winning like 18 games, we'd be chanting MVP for Booker because he was out there. Well, it, well <laughs> yeah, that's no. true, actually. Yeah. Well, now I'm thinking like now it's like his third year. Like he was on the bench for the last like 20 games. Just like, you know, that's yeah, tank, I mean, yeah. tank mode. Yep. But if you find yourself at the games and you want to yell MVP, wait till he hits the first three free throw and then you can start the MVP chance. Don't. Don't put the pressure on young book there, man. I mean, it's just uh, something we can't do. Uh, no JaVale in this game and, mm-hmm. you know, a non-COVID related in uh, uh, illness. I was a little bit worried with that. You know, JaVale had a really good game against the Philadelphia 76ers next time or last time we played them. And again, you're going against a team that typically will put you in foul trouble. Third in the NBA, as I mentioned earlier, in the way that or in the total number of free throw attempts that they take. You know, but thankfully for the Suns, they have another guy instead of JaVale McGee. Biz. Biz. Bismack Biombo tonight played 17 minutes, was three of six from the field, six points total. Uh, 12 total rebounds. I'm sorry, I just added seven total rebounds. <laughs> he had two, <laughs> two on the offensive end, uh, had the three personal fouls. But again, was a key part of the way that this team played, considering that Joel Embiid can be a monster inside. DeAndre Ayton had four fouls, and two of them came really early in the game. So the minutes provided by Bismack Biombo tonight, Matthew, absolutely huge, right? Oh, yeah. I think this is the first time actually watching the game by myself in my little tiny 500-square-foot apartment. I started clapping and applauding a guy coming off the bench in the first quarter. And that was Bismack. I was excited. I wanted, you know, McGee is out, but I was excited to see Bismack in there. And yes. it took him a little while. I mean, he was getting out worked even by DeAndre Jordan. Or, yeah, yeah. DeAndre Jordan, who cares? Is that his name? Um, but yeah, his great hustle at the end of the third it was really noticed. And the, it was a great end of the third for the Suns. But because of Bismack, he came in. And even in the fourth, man, he had that and one. That was super nice. You know, I think it was... Uh, who was it that set him up? The I think it was uh, maybe Shamit that set him up underneath the basket, and it was just like not his 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 like right angle to really kind of score off mm-hmm. of Bismack being Bismack. But then 
Chris Paul, the next play sets him up perfectly for the end one, you yep. know, perfectly. And then like, that's just something that he's rewarded with. And I, he fights those guys too. There's of course going to be the fouls. He's always going to have those fouls. And I think he saved that for the playoffs, right? McGee's healthy without a um, doubt. But, yeah. And honestly, the way Bismack's been playing, um, you just got to keep it up. I think that he might go some games in the playoffs where he won't play, but like tonight, dude, I was excited to see him, man. And then <laughs> I was like, wait, why am I applauding? Like, I never do that for anybody coming in. I just, I love the dude that much. I think he's like a fan favorite. He's, he's like my favorite other than ever, the other 12 guys. Your neighbors are like, keep it down in there. Yeah. I'm like, it's Bismack. You're like, it's, it's the return, return of, of the, the Bismack. What was I watching yesterday? I was watching something. And it was uh, some like Charlotte Hornets highlights from like last year. And there was Bismack Biombo. I was like, let's go. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I know. I was like, let's go. Bismack, we're number eight with, with Charlotte. Uh, no, I, I love it too. And, you know, they were, they were mentioned before the game that Monty Williams in a pregame com- uh, press conference and mentioned something along the lines that with the eight remaining games, now seven for the Phoenix mm-hmm. Suns, how they're going to seek opportunity to try to provide some of these guys rest. Now, obviously, Chris Paul, you're going to ramp up versus ramp down, considering that he's been out for the past 15 games. But JaVale McGee, this is a good night to do what they did with campaign a couple days a couple days ago, where it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, non-COVID related illness, night off. Uh, and knowing that Bismack Biombo can do what he can do, especially on defense, is so valuable in the playoffs when we play teams with solid bigs, like a Denver Nugget team, um, yeah. like a if, if we go to the finals playing against a Joel Embiid, uh, if you have to play against Carl Anthony Towns and the Minnesota Timberwolves, because you can have D.A. be aggressive on defense. You can have JaVale McGee be aggressive on defense as well. And then Bismack can come in and play the defense as well. So, I mean, it's just like the depth at that position is so great that going against Joel Embiid tonight, Bismack held his own as much as you can against Joel Embiid. And that was definitely something that was uh huge in this game and uh, and I love how you talked about the setup from Chris Paul. The point's gone. So this is the second game in which Chris Paul has come back. He played 36 minutes tonight, 9 of 15 from the field, 1 of 3 from beyond the arc. He had 19 points and 14 assists, one steal as well. Chris Paul getting his sea legs back under him, and he already looks like he's just he, he's picking him right back up where he left off, isn't he? Yeah, and he's he looks like he's ready to go. In the first quarter, like I said, he had that look on his face. I think he was just tired. Um, I was kind of worried. I'm like, will he be ready? Of course he's going to be ready. I worry about a lot of stuff, but this is one thing I shouldn't be worried about is Chris Paul being ready for the playoffs. Oh, wait. Actually, he has a hard time keeping healthy in the playoffs, yes. but that's a thing I do worry about. And Monty, like you said, was talking about it. They'll have some days off. And like, you know, towards the four at the fourth quarter, Booker had like the hoodie over him. I was like, oh, maybe like he's just not going to play yeah. the fourth because Embiid yeah. was kind of hurt. They had a 10 point lead. Maybe they'll see how far they can take it. Uh, it might have been the case. Who knows? But maybe they're already starting to do that. But with Chris Paul, like his back and forth, who he's looking at, well, you know, on the sideline, Doc Rivers. Like, what is, I just want, uh, sorry, I, this is the second time I'm bringing that up, but like, no, I want to know, are they like, they have like a love triangle or something going on? Like, there's something between those two. I know they used to, he used to be his coach. Exactly. Maybe I that's think, all I it think, is. I think that's right, part of it. a love it. triangle? Okay. I, I, I think so. You know, you have that. And then the third part of the triangle is the fact that one of his former teammates was James Harden. And yes, I'm yeah. sure that, you know, Chris Paul is going to take, just like Devin Booker, they're going to take every opportunity they can to try to 
create some sort of edge, even if it isn't necessarily there. And I think the fact that you're going against Doc Rivers, coupled with the fact that you are going against your former teammate, and James Harden was the motivation that Chris Paul needed to just be locked in and be engaged and be engaged in this game. Uh, did does he need all that motivation? Probably not. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, he was barking at Doc. He was barking at him yeah. this game. You yeah. know, now granted, much akin from or, or, or very different from the way that Dan Booker was barking early. He was doing it late. He was doing it when the daggers were being thrown, and all of a sudden, you know, the Suns who the game got to one hundred to ninety eight. Or 101-98. The Suns were up by 11, and all of a sudden they gave up. I, I think it was 101 to 100, and they ended the game on a 13-3 run. And Chris Paul was a big part of that 13-3 run. You look how he performed in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, Chris Paul in this game went for a total of six points and four assists in 10 minutes played in the fourth quarter. Uh, those, you know, just point God status. You take a look at the starters in the fourth quarter. Mikhail Bridges was a plus five. Jay, D.A., and Booker were all a minus one on the plus minus. Chris Paul was a plus 13. I mean, he was the driving factor in which, or, or the driving factor for the Phoenix Suns to win this game in the closeout fashion that they did. Yeah, and also what he's doing on the court is, uh, it, it's it, I kind of forget how, you know, he does it so silently. And then at times, of course, he hits those big jump shots. But like you look at the 14 assists, it's it's nuts because it's just so easy for him. And I just I sometimes I forget that I forget it pops up. It's one of those stats that just pops up. I'm like, oh, he had what 10 assists probably in the first half. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's just that's a normal thing. Right. And now you're getting like Cameron Payne to where he's kind of like struggling just a little bit, like coming coming off the bench. He's having some weird errors. He's kind of keeping he's his adjusting. head down sometimes. He's adjusting. You saw tonight and he was he was uh having a hard time just keeping his head up at certain time like that's not that's not campaign that's not him being his older sexier more attractive brother that he was before chris paul came back so he has to get back to that guy again because he he can be and he needs to be before the playoffs start we can't have this out there you know what i mean though mm-hmm. if those are tough shots you're going to get some beat in the paint man it's going to it's going to make you tremble in fear when you go in there, right? Those shots might be a little off at first. Once you get used oh, yeah. to it, you'll be fine. But we understand why those little shots off the backboard were so off because you haven't been there. So well, I want him to get his key, confidence yeah. back, really. But Well, I don't think he's lost his confidence. I truly I, don't. You know, okay. I mean, so so looking at campaign, uh, he's two for seven from the field tonight, five points, three assists, 15 and a half minutes played. You know, that's the difference. You extrapolate that over 30 minutes and you double everything, assuming he plays the same. You know, now he's at 10 and 6 at least. Uh, Is it an adjustment period for him? Absolutely. It's something that I noted after the last game is what campaign did in the last game was unbelievably impressive considering he was doing it in such a sporadic fashion that the rotations that Monty Williams is utilizing right now in an effort to ensure that Chris Paul is coming back and not being overworked for long stretches of time, may, you know, campaign's the one who's going to have to sacrifice for that. You saw it tonight. Once we hit about five minutes, Chris Paul wasn't in the game. That's when he took like his two minutes off, was right in the middle of the fourth. And that's where campaign has to come in and put in, put in two minutes in the fourth quarter and try to be as effective as possible. Now, granted, in that time, campaign uh, was a minus eight. He was the guy who was on the court when the, two threes by Maxi and the other two points came in and they scored that quick eight points. It was campaign. It was on the court. So I can see how the perception is like, yeah, he, maybe he needs some confidence. Maybe he's out of his game. And it's going to be an adjustment period for him over these next few games as 
Monty Williams is trying to bring back Chris Paul. And again, CP3 is playing 36 minutes, but it's not, you know, eight minute stretches and then, a, you know, a 12 minute stretch. No, it's it's five minutes here and then five minutes there, then six there. So he's he's doing the seg the segmented approach to bring back CP3 and campaign. The professional that he is, is going to have to adjust to it. I don't know if it necessarily hurts his confidence to do it because he probably understands that too. Like, this is just weird. You know, I'm going in with five minutes left in the game, you know, and, and I'm coming out with three and a half. Like that's just <laughs> odd, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to it. Absolutely. But know that once we start to hit the last couple games of the season, really, uh, I feel like Monty Williams will kind of have those rotations dialed back in in preparation for the playoffs. Yeah, they will. And, um, just with pain, he has to just um, know that we know that he's adjusting, right? Yes. And the thing is, as long like, as he well, knows the jam session knows. Yeah, because honestly, sometimes these players are like, all right, I have a minimum amount of time to really pay my dues, make this work where I'm at, you know, in the situation of the game when he comes in too, and like the offense wasn't doing too good with the uh, first team other than Booker. It's just like, well, now I got to kind of like stick it out and make sure that we kind of keep the lead or like maintain the lead. Like that's going to happen a lot. Mm -hmm. So it is different. Like Chris Paul even talks about it, like how he had to adjust. You know, he has to come out a certain time now in the first quarter and stuff like that. So it is an adjustment. The only thing I was just saying is just, you know, just keep your head up. Don't be so hard. He is usually, but I kind of thought that went away. Maybe because he was just playing so well before and like he didn't. Oh, get yeah. He didn't have those moments, but now he's having those moments again. So they'll probably they'll disappear soon, I'm sure. No, I, I 100% believe that they will. And again, I think that he's just going to have to, he, he's the one man who has to sacrifice. But I don't think that it's like, if this was early in the season, those would be prove it minutes. There's nothing campaign has to prove. He's shown no. this team. He's carried this team when they've needed him to. And I, I again, I think that that's going to be beneficial come playoff time for the Phoenix Suns. One narrative entering this game is kind of a narrative when it comes to the Philadelphia 76ers across the board. You listen to the Bill Simmons podcast, if I remember correctly, right? Yes, a few times. Okay, a couple times. What is Bill Simmons' take when it comes to the 76ers? Do you recall? Um, no, I do not. Sorry. I don't remember anything. So it is a team that <laughs> it is a team that after the Brooklyn Nets, because there was that big game against the Brooklyn Nets and the 76ers on March 5th, I believe it was, about two, about three weeks ago. And that's obviously a huge game because the Nets and the Sixers had the mega trade with Ben Simmons and James Harden and Seth Curry and a bunch of picks and all that fun stuff. But one of the things that Kevin Durant noted after the game has been a narrative that Bill Simmons has adopted and something that I was noticing coming into this game was the Nets strategy for beating the Sixers was you could just run them off the court. They're fat and slow, right? Yes. And, yes. and, you, and you saw that tonight. That was the strategy for the Phoenix Suns. There, there was that snippet in the second quarter where – you know, it was noted on the broadcast that the 76ers have the 28th best bench scoring in the league. Uh, the Phoenix Suns ultimately outscored their bench by 11 tonight. That was a point of note. That was a narrative I was watching, but I was also watching the, the fast break points, which I'll get to in a second. But that being said, in that segment which in which the 76ers put together, I believe it was a 12-0 run, it was Tobias Harris who was burning the Suns. The you know again being in in six or subreddit his do you know what his nickname is it's the contract the contract the, yeah because the dude is oh. making thirty six mil a year yeah I like that Tobias Harris and like he's the forgotten thirty six million dollar man and they were loving on him in Sixers subreddits for you know understandably so 
you know, because he's performing and they're like, oh, yeah, this guy, like he's the one guy. Imagine paying somebody 36 mil a year and their final stat line on the game is they put together 17 points on eight of 14 shooting. You know, now, again, in that second quarter, he had eight points and he was four or five from the field and he was part of that team. It was him and the scrubs who were out there. Uh, and by scrubs, I just simply mean their second team uh, in which they put together that run on the Suns. And then the Suns came and punched him right back with a Cateno run. And like, that was, that was the key part of the game. And they noted it on the broadcast. That's like right when uh, Doc Rivers brought back Joel Embiid and James Harden, they were going for the kill shot early and the Suns sustained that. And then they ultimately win the game. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Tobias Harris? Is he the most forgettable $36 million man in the league? Yeah, it's funny. Those stats you read are like, that's going to be DeAndre's numbers when we pay him. So <laughs> I was going to say 8 for 14, <laughs> 17 points, uh, 8 rebounds. Um, but yeah. you know, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. but look at the field goal percentage. I think that that's like the big one is the fact that the field goal percentage. Yeah. You know, he's shooting above 50%, I guess, on 8 for 14. But if D, if DA's putting up 8 for 14, like, man, that was a, that was bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Tobias, I, I think a lot of this is... I keep hearing him on the the Bill Simmons podcast, any podcast I listen to, they talk about the 76ers. His name gets dragged through the mud a lot. I don't know if he's listening to this a lot, but he does look like he's kind of out of shape too. Uh, he looks like he put on a few pounds from the last time I seen him play. He looks a little like, like he's had maybe twins overnight because mm. he has, it looks like he's lost some sleep. There's just something where I feel like he's maybe listening to this a lot to where when people do talk about the 76ers, they always bring up Tobias. They are. Oh, and then this guy, you forget about him. Right. But also he just doesn't fit in much. He doesn't really help in certain situations. Unless he gets hot against the Suns, he can back down anybody in the paint. He can get those little easy shots. But after that happens, he gets taken out of the game. Then it just kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are talking bad about him and just his game. And yeah, he is overpaid. He got his money. He did what he's supposed to do in the NBA, mm-hmm. but now he's just not performing at a level where you are fearing this guy. And I think that might be getting to his head. I think just really actually thinking about it. I was just, I was thinking about before this game. I'm like, I feel like this guy gets trashed. Even when I listen to no dunks every day, I feel like he gets talked about and gets trashed. So I kind of feel for the guy, but I don't know. It's, he has to find himself in this offense. Cause it, it's too, like, even if you have Harden two beside him, it's like these two ISO guys, really. It's like, yeah, there's not even an offense. There. There's no. not a team game there. It just sucks to watch as a Sixers fan. Well, and then you got Tyrese Maxey, who's a fantastic talent and can play some of that team ball. I feel, but Tobias Harris is such a black hole. And again, if, if he didn't get paid as much as he did, I'm sure we wouldn't obviously be talking about it. He has the 11th highest contract in all the NBA. 11th highest. Yeah. This is how this is how it goes. Giannis from from a value standpoint. Giannis, Steph, Luca, Russell Westbrook, Rudy Gobert, Stephen Curry, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, Tobias Harris, Chris yeah. Middleton, Ben Simmons. I remember Paul the day George. I wanted Tobias Harris still on the Suns. I just yeah, wanted well, anything. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember back in the day when we would take literally everything. So, but the other side of that conversation that I was having, at, you know, what I started a couple minutes ago was the fast break points. At one point, the Phoenix Suns were up. 14 to two in fast break points. They finished the game. I believe it was 17 to 10 or 10, 17 as some people like to note Uh, seven. Yeah. 17 for the Suns, 10 for the Sixers, you know, but that being said, that's the fourth quarter. Uh, There was a little bit more of the breakout for the, uh, it was the 76ers had eight fast break points in the fourth quarter. So that's the, that's the recipe for success. You know, for anybody who 
is looking to play the Philadelphia 76ers in the playoffs. If you're an East Coast fan and you happen to stumble across the Suns Jam Session podcast, that's the recipe is James Harden's not going to get back on D. Joel Embiid, as, as a great of an interior defender he, he is, he's not great in transition. And that's how you beat that team. And really uh, quick, too, Embiid, the way he is at the end of games, the way that he he can produce shots, but they're always so crazy. They're double teamed. They're off one yes. foot. Sometimes he has to settle for the three. He'll make like what, like 30% of them or 25% something crazy probably. I honestly just think that's the thing that I look at where he is unstoppable during the game. But when it comes to closing out teams, it's difficult because I think the double team comes so quickly. And then you have Harden who, if he's struggling, he's inside his own head already. He's not going to help you out. He just stands in the corner. He'll stand on the side. He won't do much. He won't cut. Like there's nobody to help this guy out yeah. when he's trying to create a shot. There's no one cutting. There's no well, one doing and, anything. And that's why Joel and B gets so much MVP love. Okay, that's exactly. the difference. Yeah. That's the difference. They're the number one team in the East. Uh, I think they are still the number one team in the East. Let me see. No, no, Boston no, is now the two. number one. Yeah. Oh, are they? Boston's number one. Yeah, yeah. Boston's number one. Philly's fourth now with are that loss. Is that right? Is that right? Geez, Philly's loss today took them from first to fourth. That's how crazy uh, it is at the top of the Eastern Conference right yeah, now. Yeah, but th- they would be what, like four seed or no? They, yeah, they'd be four seed in the West. Correct. Teams. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So yeah, Boston's that that's going to be interesting, man, because their defense is just it's like the Suns. They're they're a team that has all the wings, and now that they kind of understand the bounce between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they're really starting to click. And I think that uh, that's a scary team and. It'll be interesting how they play in the playoffs. But kind of finishing your point on Joel Embiid, that's why not having JaVale McGee in this game was something of note for me because, again, I think that the length that he provides on Joel Embiid and more than anything, how he can tire him out. I mean, if you remember the last time we played the 76ers, it was the same kind of story. They went up big early. The Suns fought back. But JaVale McGee had a great game, and he was he, he was tough for uh, Joel Embiid to guard. And it was it was tough for JaVale McGee to uh, just the way that he played physically against him by the end of the fourth quarter. Yeah, he's tired. He's tired. Yeah, he has no yeah. one around him and no one's stepping up. And that's what that, that's why they want James Harden. That's why the Sixers wanted James Harden. Joel Embiid isn't against having James Harden because it's another shot creator because outside of uh James Harden prior to his arrival, it was Seth Curry. And he like, that was your number two guy because they have a lot of great wing players, Matisse Thibel, Danny green, but none of these guys are shot creators. They're three and D guys, uh, Tobias Harris, you know, not a shot creator. He's an ISO guy and doesn't play amazing defense. So the thought is you bring in James Harden and guess what? We're going to be able to function in those last five minutes. And you saw tonight, the issue with that and the issue that a lot of Philly fans, as I mentioned earlier, were really frustrated uh, uh, as they voiced their displeasure in the Sixer subreddit was the fact that James Harden just dribble, 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 dribble. Like there's no flow to the offense. It's like, if you want to have James Harden run the offense and execute that offense with 10 seconds left on the shot clock, eight seconds left on the shot clock, you can still run the ball around, do some passing, do some screens that's going to tire out the defense a little bit, soften them up a little bit. That's one thing that Phoenix does really, really well, I feel, is the way that they run their actions, it it at least forces defenders to have to run around and try to chase them a little bit. It softens the defense up. So when you do need to finally execute the play on offense, you have some separation, and that's all the, the Phoenix Suns need is just a little separation. Mm-hmm. Agreed? 
agree. I totally agree with that. <laughs> Shout out to Sony Lovato in the chat, one of our elite jamsters. A reminder, if you want to be an elite jamster, we are putting out extra content simply accessible for elite jamsters on our YouTube channel. So in order to do that, just go to our YouTube channel and click the join button. Uh, thank you for a super chat. She donated $5 to the pod. She said, Suns Jam Session, best pod in the world. Phoenix Suns, best NBA team in the motherfucking world. About to break that record of most wins. Go Suns. Shout out to you, Sony. Thank you for always showing up and, and showing out in the chat, uh, hanging hanging out with us there. Um, let's see, Matthew, what else do you have in your notes? Uh, let me see here. Uh, do we talk about DeAndre Aiden? Oh my god, you, you know what? Yeah, what this really quick or no? This is this is why I love you, man. This is why I love you. Watch. Break it down. DeAndre Ayton on the night. A total of uh uh 14 points, 12 rebounds, five of eight from the field, 30 total minutes played as he had four fouls, as I mentioned earlier. He picked up two in the first. Uh so we didn't see him a whole lot in that second quarter. Uh, but yeah, DA, what'd you see from DA tonight going against one of the best and most physical centers in the NBA? Yeah, the foul thing was an issue, but honestly, he just looked so good. He looked light on his feet. He looked like he was zoned in, ready to go this game. Um, his double team help was really great in the first quarter when they were throwing hard. And I know the Sixers scored a million points in the first quarter, but honestly, the way he can go out and help uh against harden and just play one-on-one against harden and he stopped that one play basically when it was a shot clock violation yeah he was guarding harden for like 10 seconds one-on-one yeah stay with them he's well, harden's so doing all that dribble feet. shit like trying yeah, it doesn't to, matter try, try, trying to back up da yeah. da was right there the whole time DA's, he can move like a guard basically right against these guys yes. um but that's why like his stats of 14 to 12 and he did only play the 30 minutes it's not a big i just made a joke about tobias harris's stats i'm like oh that's da's stats right but we're gonna pay him a lot of money probably <laughs> but it doesn't matter because defensively he comes through like at the end of the game when he asked for the ball on the screen yes. uh from chris paul he got it made a little bunny hoop and then also just the way he's playing defense and grabbing the boards right now too he just if no one's noticed the way he looks in this game is the way he needs to look in every game because yes. he just has that honed in look and especially when he's coming out of timeouts coming out of like the halftime and he's talking to monty like you can tell he's like all right all right i'm good let me do this let me do this i got it like he's excited he gets excited for these games absolutely i mean you have an opportunity to go up against joel Embiid after going up against nikola Jokic, after going up against carl anthony towns yeah and you know again joel Embiid is a monster and he's unstoppable and that there's a reason why i think he's going to end up with the mvp trophy this year he just he is it's almost like a, uh, you know, it's like everyone who wanted to vote for him last year simply couldn't because of the games played. Like he's put in the games yeah. this year, but DeAndre Ayton, the way that he played in this game, as you noted, he had three points and three rebounds in that fourth quarter, and all of them were tenacious, ferocious, uh, exactly what you wanted from him, especially when it matters, when the game's on the line. The way that DA has been playing is that engaged style of basketball. We've noted it before on this podcast. I wrote a piece about it. Uh, for bright side of the suns on, on essentially how since March 5th, at, since he, since that game against the New York Knicks, he has challenged himself and he is priming himself up for the playoffs. Uh, he's absolutely vital to the success of the suns in the playoffs. Uh, another guy who had a great game. All I can say is sham. Wow. Landry Shamit. Huge threes in this game, giving us exactly what we need off of the bench. He ends with a total of 12 points off the bench, 4-7 from the field, 
three of five from beyond the arc. His one non three pointer was a dunk, which looked great. Uh, I just think that he's starting to peak at the right time. He's making up for not having Cam Johnson out there right now, who just so everyone's aware of was seen doing some really uh, extensive pregame drills, a lot of lateral movement type of stuff. So know that Cam Johnson's return is on the horizon. My guess is if he's not back, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back Wednesday, but if not, maybe within the next week, we should see Cam Johnson. But Landry Shaman is filling those shoes right now as being somebody who's reliably shooting from beyond the arc, hitting those daggers when the Phoenix Suns need him to. Yep. And he just had a few plays where he would get in the paint and kind of just pass the ball out. It's like, dude, like just do the little turnaround jump shot. Like he kind of like the one setup to beyond, I was talking about earlier where it just puts him in a bad situation. That's just a bad play, but big threes tonight, man. Uh, I just think he needs to be a little bit more confident when that mid range, he has it in him, right? He he's been watching book. He has a little mid range game. Just if you're down that close, get a little bit of separation, get that shot off. Cause it's a better look than setting somebody up yes. for failure. Like even Tory Craig in the corner for three where he's guard heavily guarded and the shot clock's kind of running out. So do a better with the job at that, and then he'll be he'll be fine. He'll be ready to go for the playoffs. One note from the Sixer subreddit. Uh, they said, anyone remember when we used to compare Shamit to Clay? Because you got to remember, Landry Shamit was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers, and they had high hopes for him, and apparently that's what they used to refer to him as. I didn't uh, Anything else from your notes? I think that's actually it. I'm glad I caught on to the Aiden thing. Before Good, we yes. Far, right? That's that's why I got to ask you. A uh, couple things that I have left from the subreddit of the Philadelphia 76ers. That's This is John Voida reporting behind enemy lines at the Sixers subreddit. Uh, one thing, DJ, DeAndre Jordan, makes my sensitive nipples hurt. <laughs> that was a statement that somebody put out there. Uh, the second this uh, That's the second time that Embiid had Booker on him in the post and Harden just dribbled the clock out. Um. Oh, th so this is a good one. Before we get to the Jam Star, this is something that uh somebody put out there, and I thought it was an interesting point of view from a Sixers fan. This is how they feel they are viewed. They go, "So if we win, it won't count because all we do is shoot free throws. And if we lose, we're frauds and are not good." Yeah. That's how Seventy Sixers fans view themselves. What do you think of that statement? I think it's the truth. It kind of reminds you of the Suns, right? <laughs> a little bit, or no? I just, you know, again, I mean, just as a fan, I feel like, yeah, you well, always fans, feel the disrespect. You always feel the disrespect. You're, you're obviously overly critical. I mean, we make a podcast that's probably been overly critical for many times on the about the Phoenix Suns. So, mm -hmm. uh, just thought that was kind of an interesting observation. And I got into all my hardened stuff, which means it's time for. <laughs> Jamsters, let us know in the chat who your jam star of the game is. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Hit that thumbs up button if you're watching this on YouTube right here, right now. Let's do it. Matthew, who's your jam star of the game, dude? It's going to be... This is tough, man. I think it's going to be Booker, I guess. I don't know. Paul's numbers are so good this game, but the way Book was just all game. I thought he did start off a little bit too hot and heavy again, uh, but he calmed down. But he was... A few times he was missing, but he showed up in a big way towards the end. So he's my big dick book. The the um the sensitive nipple thing maybe too much gluten too. By the way, so a little help on yeah, that interesting. one. Interesting, yeah. Life so advice. Lay off lay, life advice. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's either Booker or it's it's the backcourt. In all honesty, uh, yeah. I think it was Booker just because uh, it really comes down to the fact that he, the 76ers came out in fuego. 
they're locked in, ready to go. Devin Booker held us down and close, and then helped close us out. And I think that that was very important. So, uh, yeah. shout out to shout out to the firefighters behind you uh, who are saving lives. Uh, I'm probably the only one who can hear that because I have headphones on. Uh, but Suns Geek in the chat, shout out to you as my uh, as well. My friend says my jam stars are John and Matt. Uh, the Suns and the Suns Jam Session podcast coming to you live after every Suns game. Um, but yeah, I really think that the backcourt tonight was a, a a big part of obviously the reason that the Phoenix Suns won this game. Next up for the Phoenix Suns, uh, is it Wednesday? We don't play until Wednesday. Is that correct? Yeah, Wednesday. They've had yeah. two Monday Tuesdays off, right? Yeah. Or did we have we had Friday and Saturday off too. With Friday and Saturday, so then we, the Suns get a little rest in. But they travel. They have a three game road trip. I think it's three games where they go to the Warriors and they go to Memphis and then they go to uh, Oklahoma City. Obviously, a chance to tie the franchise record in wins as at stake when they visit Golden State. It's that that's going to be a game. I mean, obviously, there's no Steph. Uh, we'll see what's up with Draymond. I feel like he's kind of in now the lineup clay, you know, I, I, the Warriors have kind of hit that point where I think that they're, they understand that they've got to really start resting. You know, the difference is the Phoenix suns like should be resting, but they're not going to because, uh, of the rust component that might exist. And the fact that they're just too damn competitive. The Warriors mm-hmm. are a team that are like purposely trying to rest because man, they're just, they're just so beat to shit. They are. And honestly, I was thinking too, remember when they had, um, it was before the bubble where they had that game. Um, it is the season before the bubble, and Draymond they were calling plays. Remember the coaches were letting. Oh, I'll never forget that shit. Did, were they? They didn't win a finals after that, right? It's kind of one of those things right. like the, the back down thing against uh, Jay Crowder. Yes, you know what I mean, and like kind of came back to bite them. It's just it's not. I'm not saying this is over, but it's just it's getting really sloppy. I honestly kind of think the way that things are going, I don't think Steve Kerr will be back next year as their coach. I think they're going to kind of switch it up. I think it's getting too boring so? over there. There's injuries, of course, but I think they're. I think they got to switch it up. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. I could definitely see a change coming there. Obviously, we have to see how this this uh, the season plays out. But if you pull up the playoff picture right now for the Phoenix Suns and and the Western Conference, you'll see that they are currently uh, the three seed. And if the playoffs ended today, Matthew, they would be playing the Denver Nuggets. Thoughts on that? Uh, you know, interesting. I, Denver might be in the play-in, though, honestly. The way things are going, <laughs> I just kind of think that it's going to fall that way to where Denver might be in the play-in, and then you can have Minnesota moving up to that spot in six. Either way, though, I think uh, the Nuggets, I don't know if they're going to get swept, but I don't think it's going to be a good look for them in the playoffs. Well, it's going to be interesting because the Nuggets have a game and a half lead currently over the Minnesota Timberwolves. So who knows what will happen? But Golden State, the way that they're playing, they've they've had kind of a rough go of it. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They've lost two consecutive games. They are pretty much a lock for not the two seed. Uh, they're going to be kind of actually trying to hold off the, I feel like the Utah Jazz to ensure that they get that three seed. They currently have a two and a half game lead on the Utah Jazz for the three seed, but they will have to play either the Denver Nuggets or the Minnesota Timberwolves based on the play. And I mean, the, obviously the Timberwolves have, would have to win that first game, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but I think it's an interesting matchup because it's a team that definitely with Nikola Jokic has a little bit of size to him, doesn't have a lot of depth, uh, but can probably push them around a little bit. So it'd be really interesting to see how, that plays out. What are your thoughts on this game against the uh, the Warriors that's coming up on Wednesday? 
I think it's an absolute win. I think the way they've handled these last three games, which were really tough games, like they got them done. They got them finished just like every other game. Yep. I think this one was something where I was like, all right, this is an automatic win. Um, but I just, I really think it is. I think just, you know, the, the nucleus of what the Warriors did have before, it's just kind of broken apart that we talked about. But the Suns are just rolling right now. You can't stop them. We're just like, you know, the way the Warriors were that one year when they won 73 games. Like, it's just... Yeah. That's the way they're playing right now. It's a machine, man. It really is a machine. So mm -hmm. uh, obviously that's going to be an exciting game. If the Suns can win that game, we tie the record for most wins in a franchise history. 62 has yeah, been done twice cool. before. So uh, with, with six games to go. So we'll see. Uh, last thing I wanted to do is I wanted to read a five-star review left by one of our cool. jamsters on Apple Podcast. A reminder, if you go to Apple Podcast, give us five stars. Go give us a, a review, and we'll read it right here on the pod. This is kind of a long one, so prepare. Get some popcorn. This comes from Cool Beans. He says, go home and love your podcast hosts. It was 20 months ago I first tuned into John and Matthew. My life has never been the same. I'm an Arizona native who bounced around before landing in northern Indiana, far from my favorite sports team, and several time zones removed from catching the action of all Suns home games and any West Coast road games. My time as a loyal Jamster podcast listener aligns perfectly with the birth of my first child. With a toddler, all free time is precious, and I'm sadly maturing into a, per a person who prioritizes sleep over staying up till 1 a.m. watching basketball, <laughs> unless it's the playoffs or it's the weekend, or if you could just tell, book is heating up. That said, Sun's Jam Session has been an invaluable resource for me to stay current following the best team in the NBA, usually today following the game as I drive to work or walk the dog or try in vain to prevent my daughter from eating dirt. Hashtag childhood trauma. Uh, the show has been truly a source of stability and comfort whilst navigating the ups and downs of being a new parent. I admire the, incredi the incredible devotion John and Matthew have to running a post-game debrief after every contest on top of what I can only assume are time-consuming day jobs, especially John. Still a bit unclear exactly what Lissy does, but I'm sure it's important. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about it, do I? <laughs> we don't. Uh, the show has it all. Relevant reaction content, quality segments, drops that will surely someday land in the NBA Hall of Fame, a really pretty objective zoomed out view of the Suns in the larger context of the NBA, and a willingness to call out the flaws and faux pas that the Suns possess player to player and game to game. The duo has a casual report that might lead some to mistake the show as a typical bro chat cast pod, i.e. long on time and low on substance, season an opportunity to go live and yammer on with un with unfunny riff and unfunny riff, or after unfunny riff. But no, these two have perfectly navigated the line between complete improvisation and rigorous research to deliver a product that feels so highly relatable. Hey, that's what I was thinking. Uh, but I, but also being ever so slightly out of reach. How do they do this night after night? Uh, I do believe John once described the show's place in Planet Orange, Planet Orange's media sphere, as being the drunk frat boys saying "Go Suns," hands akimbo, while angling for a cameo behind the behind Tom Chambers on a TV broadcast or something to that effect. While I agree that the duo brings that level of enthusiasm, that really doesn't do justice to the astute analysis at hand. Although that kind of humility is exactly the kind of thing that wins loyal jamsters like me hanging on every word and ready to follow John and Matthew wherever they may go to an NBA championship, go Suns, Sam's Suns Jam Session forever. Thank you, Cool Beans, for such a fantastic review. Yeah, really uh, great name, too. I love it. Cool yes, that, that, yeah. that really hits home. You know, uh, that's what we do. We try to have a good time doing this. We've been doing it for quite some time where it's like I said, we, we're, we're the two guys in the corner who are 
screaming go sons and we're the only ones watching the game and everyone's like those guys are fucking, what's wrong with those <laughs> you know and that's just us so we really yeah, appreciate nice. that Thank so you. uh Thank and again we'll read yours right here on the pod if you go to apple and leave us a five-star review so uh again thank you cool beans for that thank you to everybody who's joined us live here following another 10 point victory for the phoenix suns this time being over the philadelphia 76ers we are 61 and 14 and we're looking forward to seeing you again on wednesday when we play the golden state warriors make sure you subscribe rate review give us a thumbs up if you're watching on youtube follow the show at suns jam you can follow me at darth voida and you can follow matthew yeah, matthew lissy on that note i'm gonna go finish eating my sour cream chicken enchiladas and I'm going to go home and love my family. Take care.